In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 31, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, July the 16th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our studies in the books of 1 Samuel and Acts, as well as the Gospel according to Mark. Um, We're still looking at the life of David. We're looking at, at, at David now fleeing from the murderous King Saul, who has determined that David is a threat not only to his own kingdom, but to his son, Jonathan, who he uh, believes should be the, the proper person to sit on the throne um, of God's people. And so we're, we're, we're continuing to look at that and, and look at w- what is it that David has to do in order to survive and, and to to live into the promise and the anointing that he had had years before as the as the king of Israel God's chosen man but he won't do anything to lift his hand against Saul because he is the Lord's anointed as well and so David is willing to leave all of this to the Lord no matter how long it takes and what he has to go through David is gathering men to him at this point still. People are coming to David because they, they, they have left Saul. They've seen what, what the madness that's descended on Saul. And so there are people who have begun aligning themselves with David in this, uh, in this flight from Saul that he's had to take. And then we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, and, and it, it, we're going to see um, that Jesus calling men to himself called disciples and then he's going to send them out and then in the acts lesson what we'll see is is paul being invited to speak in a synagogue and then preaching the gospel and and how he preached it to jews and how clear and simple he made that proclamation um and how he he never wavered or varied from his story the most important thing that he could do is tell you about jesus tell you about the one who was the true king so here we have in, in the uh, second Sam, or first Samuel reading, it's first Samuel 21, 1 to 15. We've skipped a good bit forward in the narrative. We, we were, um, it's, we've got to move through the narrative a little quicker, and so the, um, the lectionary leaps forward a little bit here to first Samuel 21. He's got men with him now, David does. He has, he has his own men who have come and gathered around him in support of David in this. So he comes to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling. He was afraid of David. He didn't know why he was there. And said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And so he said, David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. This is the uh, episode we read of yesterday in the gospel lesson, by the way. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? So I'm going to meet my men in a little bit somewhere else. I'm not going to tell you these things. I'm on a secret mission that Saul sent me on. And I'm not supposed to tell anyone what it is. And I've got my men are ready to meet me 
somewhere else. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest said, I I don't have any common bread on hand, like just regular bread. There's only the holy bread that's in the in the temp in the tabernacle in the holy place um he said if the young men have kept themselves from women they have not defiled themselves in that way and so david said nope truly women have been kept from us as always when i go on an expedition the vessels of the young men the the bodies are holy even when it's an ordinary journey how much more today will their vessels be holy So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it's taken away. And so he gives that to them. And then we get this weird little uh, piece of information that actually comes in handy later. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. So he is an Edomite. He is not an Israelite. And so he's there, and he sees this is going on. It'll, it, that's a piece of information that you'll need to know later, because Doeg the Edomite actually is the one who kills the priests of Nob, because no one in Saul's retinue will do that, because they are Israelites. But this Doeg is there this day. He has different thoughts about the priesthood than, than he would if he were an Israelite uh, convert. So... David said to Ahimelech, "Look, not only do I not have any bread, I don't have a, I don't have a weapon. Do you have a spear or a sword in hand? Because I didn't bring any one of these things because the king's business required haste. In other words, I, I had to get out of there so quickly in this exodus that I didn't bring a weapon with me." And he says, "The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah. Behold, it's here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod." If you'll take it, take it, for there's none other but that here. And David said, there's none like that. Give it to me. And he rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So so this spear uh, or sword that Goliath, that he had taken from Goliath is now given back to David. And you can imagine the, the size of this thing compared to a normal sized guy who's not nine feet tall. So David's going to have this enormous sword that Goliath would have wielded against him, which was absolutely useless in the hands of Goliath against David, but not the other way around. And so he comes to to Gath, which is where Goliath is from, and comes to the king Achish there. And the servants of Achish said, wait a minute, isn't this David, the king of the land? Didn't they sing to one another? of him in the dances. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. They've misunderstood. They think David was the king based on what they heard in that thing. And then David hears this and David is now afraid. He's afraid that Achish will move against him because they believe that he's the king of Israel. And so David then pretends to be a madman. David is, is living in a lot of fear here. He is running from before this murderous king but he's also living in his own fear, and it's causing him to do some interesting things and act in some interesting ways. He's afraid that they're going to come against him. He's not trusting the Lord here. He's trusting in himself. And so he puts on like he's some sort of a madman. And the king wants to know, why in the world is this guy here? You see the man's mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? No, I'm not inviting him into the house. We're going to keep him at a distance because he knows about David. And he surely saw David's sword that he brings in and, and thinks, well, 
this is the one who killed Goliath. And look what's happened to him at this point. <coughs> he's lost his mind. But, but he's got that sword and he knows David's a mighty man. He knows that David is truly a warrior. And what's he going to do with it? What's he going to do with this madman that's coming? David's there seeking sanctuary, thinking that Saul won't follow him down there into Gath, into the country of Goliath and the Philistines. It's, it's important that, that we continue to trust the Lord in all that we do, that, that we not act the way David's acting here, that we act in faith and not fear. And so when we get into this gospel lesson, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Judea. And these are, so these are all places within Israel. And then from beyond the Jordan, from the other side of the Jordan, over in Syria and Lebanon and those places. And then up from around Tyre and Sidon, up north of the Mediterranean. So the, the word about Jesus is spreading everywhere and he's attracting a following from all over the region and beyond Israel itself. So that he told the disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed so many. <clears throat> so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And when the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You're the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He's taking authority over these demons. Um, and telling them what to do. And so that's another expression of his authority. If these things have power over that, that person that they've been demonizing, then Jesus speaks in power over them in the same way that he spoke to the wind and the waves, telling them to stop. And so, so he, he's not wanting that testimony. The testimony is his power over the demonic forces, not the testimony that they give as to his identity. <coughs> And he went up on the mountain and called to those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And then we get the list of the twelve that Jesus chooses in this moment. And so, so these, of all this crowd that has come to him, Jesus has called out twelve of these men, and, and he's going to give them the preaching authority and also the authority to cast out demons. And so he is giving them the power that he has in order that, that their message would be authenticated by power. And, and that's what we need, I think, in the church more than anything else. We need, we need to see God's power on display because we live in a world that, that believes in all kinds of alternative spiritualities. And what we need is to be able to say, you know, what you believe is less real because it has fewer answers. It's a sermon that I preached years ago by completely without planning to. At the last minute, I ended up having to preach a Wednesday service when we were at Pauly's Island, and literally at the last minute, because the only other person there who, who was planning to, he was planning to lead that service, got really sick right before the service started. And so I needed some sort of an illustration, and I looked on History Channel, which is what I used to do a lot, uh, just as, as an illustration and a sermon starter. And so the, what I found was is that the, the story of the, it happened to be Buddha's birthday. And the three things that, that, that it pointed out about Buddha that changed him and made him um, seek uh, inspiration uh, or illumination under the bow tree were the, where he went out of the palace for the first time after his father died because his father had kept him from suffering. And he saw 
um, a, an old man, and he felt great pity on the man because it was awful to be old. And then he saw a, a crippled man on his second trip out, and the last time he saw a dead man, man and, and these things all moved him deeply and caused him to go seek that illumination and understanding in, in meditation under the bow tree. And, and my point was is that Jesus, when he saw Simeon, or when Simeon saw him literally as a baby, Simeon has been there, he's been promised that he'd see the coming of Messiah, and he says, "Now, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples. Um, so he's this old man gets hope, eternal hope, because he sees Jesus. The second one is a crippled man, and, and Buddha feels sorry for him, and, and Jesus heals the man. And then finally, the, the dead man, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Well, which one do you want to follow? I want to follow the one who can do something, who can overcome all these things. So that, I believe the church needs to, to begin to re-experience the power of God. I've seen that happen. I've seen renewal of faith and strengthening of faith and people coming to faith because of, the, the great, because of faith in the church and then also the miracles and the power that God has to heal. And I've seen that healing in my, in my own family in this last several months in, in, in remarkable ways. And so Paul, when he comes down here, he, he comes to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue, he and Barnabas. And they, they go into the synagogue and sat down. And, and after the readings in the synagogue, the rulers sent a message to them, Paul and Barnabas, because they're from Jerusalem. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement from the people, say it. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand begins to then preach into um, their situation and begins to preach the gospel. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God. So the, so the people who are natural born Israelites and then the proselytes, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt with uplifted army, led them out of it. In about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And then after destroying the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them the, the, their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. I mean, that's a pretty quick overview of Israelite history. And then after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I've found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. And Paul is basically saying, this is the one that I'm proclaiming to you. He gives the quickest overview of, of Israelite history possible. He sums up 450 years of history in about three uh, sentences. And then says, okay, so, so that was the first 450 years. And then we had judges. And the final one of those was Samuel, who was not just a judge. He was also a prophet and a priest. And then after that, they wanted a king, so they, he gave him one who turned out to be a madman. And then after that, he, he, he removed him and he raised up David, who was a man after his own heart. And then he says, you know, according to the promise of uh, a messianic king from the line of David, God's raised him up and his name is, is Jesus. So he did it. And then, if you want further proof of that, John came in fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi that Elijah would come first, and John proclaimed this, and then he pointed to Jesus. So that's who he is. That's what you got. There's the gospel today. And it's as simple as that. 
for, for Jewish audiences is he's the fulfillment of the promises and the prophecies of the scriptures. So when you're preaching to people who are converted, then, then and that the point was to say, I'm going to make this as simple as I can for you. Surely you know all the stuff that I'm leaving out, that I'm glossing over. But the, but the reality is, is that there's this man, Jesus, who I, Paul, didn't initially recognize, but now who I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is the Savior of mankind. He is the fulfillment of the promise of the Davidic king who would also be Messiah. It's important that, that we live not in fear as David did, as we see him down in Gath pretending to be a madman because he's afraid of what this man will do to him in spite of the fact that God's protected him during all this time. Paul has no fear at all because truth matters more than, than his fears. He knows that, that God's shown him everything that he's going to suffer for the kingdom, and so he's going to persevere and do everything that he can, no matter what it costs him in reputation or uh, physical safety and comfort. It, it doesn't matter. You know, and, and if we could take that same attitude that Paul does, that we, that we would not, have, not live in fear, that we would live in favor, the favor of the Lord, then, then we would know a totally different life, and the, and the world would see power in that proclamation, that bold and fearless proclamation of truth, if we would, would only stop living in fear in order to do that very thing.